0: to an audio sermon from Fort William Baptist Church. We are located in Thunder Bay, Ontario. To find out more about us, please visit our website at www.fortwilliambaptistchurch.com. Thank you for joining us today. Well, brothers and sisters, would you grab your Bibles this morning, and would you turn in your Bible to the book of First Peter, and we're going to be looking at chapter 5 this morning, verses one through four. So first Peter chapter five, verses one through four. So we're in the middle of a little mini series and the mini series is called Life in the Church. And the goal of this series is, is simple. We just wanna take uh, matters of the church, doctrines of the church, pick them up, look at them, give fresh examination to them, and try to apply these matters to our lives together as a people. And so we began this series two weeks ago when we looked at the matter of, of baptism. What is baptism? Well, when the gospel is preached, Jesus, Jesus died, he was raised, he's coming. He is the Lord of lords, the King of kings. That's the gospel. Commands come with it repent, believe, be baptized. And so, what is baptism? It's how we respond to the gospel. We get baptized, we identify with Jesus. It's part of the process of becoming a Christian. Then last Sunday, we looked at church membership. So baptism takes us somewhere. It takes us into the body of Christ. And church membership is all about the matter of discipleship, learning to follow Jesus. So in church membership, the baptized believer says, dear church, I want to learn Jesus in the midst of you. And the church says to the baptized believer, we're going to oversee your discipleship and we're going to grow together up into Jesus. So baptism, church membership. This Sunday, this morning, we're going to look at eldership. We're going to look at leadership in the local church. And so our text is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So hear the word of God. Peter writes, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Oh Father, we do pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. We need it. Amen. So we can begin our, our, our look at leadership in the local church, eldership, by just making two basic observations on the verses we just read. And the first observation is this, very basic. Elders need instruction. Elders need instruction. And that's a humbling way to put it. Notice what I said there. I didn't say elders can benefit from instruction or elders need to consult instruction from time to time. No, I said elders need instruction men who are called to lead, guide, care for God's people, men who are called to preach and teach the word of God need to sit down and learn. They need to be instructed. And notice what Peter does in our verses. He instructs elders and he sees to it that elders get the instruction that they need. He stops the flow of the letter. He calls to attention to the elders and then he addresses them. He says, I exhort the elders among you. What does he do? Well, he reminds elders of their calling. He speaks into their hearts. He, he encourages them to press on. He instructs them in the way that they're supposed to be leading God's people. And this is illuminating. Elders need instruction. But as we think about this observation, it shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us at all. Why? Because the church is a community of what? Learners of Jesus. Jesus. Every single person in the church is a learner of Jesus and everyone is in the process of learning how to follow Jesus. And no one in this process has arrived. No one is full grown yet. The youngest of believers needs instruction. The battle-tested leader needs instruction. The little child learning the ABCs of God in Sunday school needs instruction. The man who preaches and teaches God's word needs instruction. And so Peter turns here in chapter 5 of his letter and begins to instruct the elders because they need it. And There's a second observation as well, and this is very basic. The church needs instruction about eldership. Or to put it a different way, the church needs instruction about leadership. Peter could have easily written a separate letter to these these leaders that he had in mind. A letter that the church would have never read or seen or been aware of, but instead, Peter instructs the elders in a, in a public corporate setting in front of everyone else and he does this before the church because he wants the church to eavesdrop on this conversation that he's going to have between himself and the elders. He wants these people to eavesdrop. He wants, to know, he wants the church to know what exactly these men are supposed to be doing and, and how they're supposed to do and what might stand in their, stand in their way. And Peter does this for good reason. These four verses that we're looking at are not an information dump that we just have to endure as God's people until we can get on something more practical for our lives. Really, what Peter is doing in these four verses is he is calling the church to action. With these words, the church can pray specifically for her elders and do so with wisdom and specificity. In light of these words, we can say, Lord, this is what these men need, really need. Would Would you see that they get it? Lord, I can see the temptations these men are are facing. Would you deliver them from temptation? Would you keep their feet from from stumbling? With these words, the church can also encourage leaders. The church can go to their leaders and say, I I see this in you. It's in the word and I, I see it in your life and I'm encouraged. Would you press on? Would you keep moving forward? We love it. We love what we see in the word and we want more of it press on. Even more, the church with these words can actually assess its leaders. They actually assess its leaders with a biblical mindset free from worldly metrics, worldly ways of thinking about leadership. They can actually do this in a, a biblical way. And so as we look at these four, 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 four verses in chapter five, this, this text is for us, all of God's people. Elders need instruction and God's people need instruction about Elders. So what we're going to do is we're going to break up Peter's instruction that we need into three chunks, three chunks, and each chunk is going to get a word. So three chunks and three words. And so the three words are are clarity, check, and call. Clarity, check, and call. So in verses one through two, Peter clarifies, this is the first chunk, he clarifies who the elders are and, and what they're supposed to be doing for God's people, In the second half of verse 2 and into verse 3, Peter then checks the elders. And what he does when he checks the elders is invasive. He pries open to their hearts and he wants to see what's going on inside of them. He's going to ask penetrating questions. He's going to ask elders, well, what's motivating your ministry? What's driving your work? What's sustaining your heart right now? What have you set your heart upon? And then finally in verse 4, Peter calls to the elders. He urges the elders to look forward. Jesus is coming, he says. Look to Jesus and this will sustain you. So clarity, check, call. Three chunks. So let's dive into the text. First chunk of text, clarity. And so as we begin to think about leadership and eldership, Christians love their lingo, and the more time you spend with Christians, the more time you're in the church, you realize that this fact is true. Christians love their lingo and they have their own distinctive vocabulary. And this is especially too when we think about the matter of leadership are all sorts of words that churches like to use for, for leadership. You go to one church and you hear about boards and, and councils, and they have all sorts of variations on that with distinct terminology. And then you go to a different church and you, and you hear about teams and governance teams and shepherding teams. And as you move from church to church, denomination to denomination, it all gets a bit confusing because everybody's using all these different terms, using their own language. And so we're to blame for some of the confusion we use. But We're not to blame for all of the confusion that happens about leadership in the church. We're not to blame because the scriptures themselves use different leadership words. So we can just chart a few of those out. When you read through the New Testament, the New Testament uses three leadership words to describe who should be leading the church. So in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about these guys and they're called overseers. Overseers lead the church. And that term can be interpreted differently, can be interpreted as what? As Bishop. And in Ephesians chapter 20, Paul instructs, he calls the elders to himself, and he tells us that these men are to be leading the church. The Holy Spirit has set them apart to lead and care for God's people. Elders, and that can be translated differently also as what? Presbyters. Then in Ephesians chapter 3, Paul tells us that God has given to the church gifts. Gifts of leadership. And who leads? He says pastors. Pastors lead. And that also can be translated differently, can be translated as as shepherds. And so our contemporary language can be confusing as we move from church to church, but we get confused just by looking at, at the scriptures. Depending on the Bible you're reading, there's just a flurry of terms that come at you, overseer, bishop, pastor, shepherd, elder, presbyter. And so in light of what we find in the scriptures, we can just ask a very simple question. We ask, well, who is leading the church? Somebody's got to have their, their hands on the, the steering wheel. Somebody's got to drive the bus. Who is it? Who is it? And so we ask, well, are there three leadership groups in the church? Should a church have a, a pastor and then have a, a, a group of elders and then a, a board of overseers? And each one of these groups have, have separate spheres of authority and somehow they, they partner together for the good of the church? Or perhaps there's a, a, a pastor and then there's this, this board and sometimes we call them elders and sometimes we call them overseers and it kind of functions like a corporate model. That the, the pastor is the CEO and, and these guys keep, keep a check on him so he doesn't get out of control and, and there's kind of some subordination going on. Or is there some other arrangement we haven't thought about? So we read the New Testament, we hear overseer, pastor, elder, and we ask, well, who leads the church? Because somebody has to lead the church. Somebody has to give direction to it. Well, we find clarity by listening to what Peter says. So let's look at our Bibles. Verse one, Peter says this, I exhort the elders among you. So Peter has a specific group of men in mind and they're called elders, elders and he's exhorting them. That means he wants them to do something. He's speaking in such a way that he wants to motivate these men to get a task done. So what does he want these men to get done? Well, we read on. Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God. So we have elders, and they're called to do this. They're called to shepherd the flock of God. And Peter wants us to think about this imagery because it's rich. Who are the people of God? They are the sheep of God. They are a flock of God. And what are elders supposed to do? They're supposed to have this shepherding function among the people. So think about what a shepherd does for sheep. A shepherd provides direction for sheep, moving the sheep from here to there and back again. A shepherd feeds the sheep, providing good pasture and clean water for the sheep to drink. A, a, a shepherd protects and guards the sheep. When a wolf or a bear or a robber comes, the shepherd goes out and meets the intruder. A shepherd cares for the sheep. When a sheep wanders off, the, the, the shepherd goes and finds the sheep. When a, when a sheep is sick and hurting, the shepherd goes and, and brings medicine and, and healing and balm to the sheep. And this is what Peter thinks about elders and what elders do. They feed the people of God the word of God. They give direction to the discipleship of the people of God. They say, here's where we need to go. Let's go this way. They go after the people of God when they wander into sin. They they protect the people of God from spiritual harm. They bring comfort and balm to the people of God when they're suffering. In short, elders govern and lead the church as a shepherd would care for his flock. But catch this, we can't miss this. Peter says this, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God. But we can retranslate this, and it's important to catch this. I exhort the elders among you, pastor the flock of God. Shepherd the flock of God, pastor the flock of God. Both are acceptable ways to render the passage. So, what do elders do? They, they, They pastor. And this pushes us a bit. Peter's pushing on our churchy vocabulary. and He wants us to think hard about this. We're used to calling one man a pastor, the person who does most of the preaching. That guy, he's the pastor. That guy who has the job at the church and gets paid, that guy is the pastor. But according to Peter, for following what he is saying, every elder is a pastor and has been called and set apart to do what? To do pastoral work. And so as we... And so we're getting clarity from Peter as we listen to him. We're getting clarity, but there's more clarity that Peter has for us. So look at your Bibles again and listen to Peter. He says, I exhort the elders among you, shepherd or pastor the flock of God that is among you. And how are we to do it? What does it look like? Well, he modifies, Peter modifies the verb shepherd or pastor with this phrase, exercising oversight. Shepherd with oversight, Peter is saying. And so here, Peter is switching metaphors. He, he leaves behind the sheep and now he goes and he wants us to think about a, a project manager. And so what does a project manager do? A project manager manages some kind of project. So think about a construction project. What is a manager responsible for? Well, he's responsible for all that's going on on the job site. Are the right materials being used? Is the plan being followed? Is it on schedule? Is the customer happy with what's going on in the product that he or she is going to receive? And so this is what Peter is saying about elders. They are our project managers. They have been charged by Jesus to exercise oversight over the church. And they're going to be held responsible at the end of the day for how the church is is being run. They're going to have to answer to Jesus about the status of the sheep. They're going to be held accountable for their shepherding or or managerial practices. Christ is going to come to these men and he's going to ask, has my word and gospel been preached? Have my ordinances been rightly administered as I would have it? Have my instructions been followed in this congregation? Have these people been loved, exhorted, encouraged, reproved, rebuked as I I would have it? Are you doing the work that I've set you to do? because you are responsible for it and you have authority to do it. So Peter's giving us clarity. So let's just stop and try to put all, put all of this together. We've got different pieces working. So Peter exhorts, he calls, he calls to attention elders and he exhorts them. He wants elders to do something. He wants them to pastor. And so elders do pastoral work. And they're to pastor the flock of God. How? Well, they're the pastor of the flock of God exercising oversight, Or to put it another way, they're to pastor by being wise and faithful overseers. Do you see what Peter just did? We've got these three leadership words in the New Testament. 1 Timothy chapter 3, overseer. Acts chapter 20, elder. Ephesians chapter 3, pastor. What does Peter do? He takes all of these, these leadership terms and he puts them into one concise statement. He gives us clarity. Elders are overseers. Overseers are pastors. Pastors are elders. And however you want to pair these words around, they they all point to the same office of leadership in the church. And so Peter just sorted out our theology and this is so helpful for us. But we have to be clear as we're looking into Peter's words this morning, this was not the main purpose of his writing. He does give us clarity, but he's aiming at something else. And he's aiming at this. He desires to pastor these pastors. He desires to do some pastoral work himself. And he can do this because he himself is a pastor. Look at verse 1. Peter says this, I am a fellow elder. And as a fellow elder, Peter knows all the ins and outs of pastoral ministry. He knows the joys of pastoral ministry, what makes pastors happy, and he knows the suffering that accompanies pastoral ministry and the temptations and the struggles. He knows it all. And Peter captures this range of diversity as he describes himself. He says he's a fellow elder. He says also that he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. He knows suffering and he knows glory. He's seen both, he's experienced both, and he's writing from that perspective to pastor other pastors. And so Peter begins to pastor the pastors by providing three spiritual checks. Now, as we think about these checks, they're, they're inward. Peter is digging into the heart of the elders. And he's asking, what drives you, elder? What is, what's getting you up in the morning, elder? What keeps you putting one foot in front of another elder? What's, what's, getting you at, what's getting you up in your ministry? And Peter does this for good reason. Why? Because if the heart is corrupted, if it's being driven by ungodly motivations, what's going to happen? Soon and without fail, be, there's going to be a harvest of bad fruit. And so he wants to dig into these men's hearts and see what's actually going on in there. So let's follow Peter as he does this. So we find the first check in verse 2. And he simply asks this question, elder, are you disinterested? So he writes, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. So he contrasts two words. Compulsion and willingly. And he does this for good reason. Elders must not lead by a sense of compulsion. Rather, they must have a willing heart. In essence, Peter is asking these men, are you disinterested in the work that God has called you to do? And this is a searching question. Because here, Peter bypasses the matter of results and cuts right to the heart. He, he steps aside He doesn't look at the matter of checklists and performance assessments. He squares up and he drills the elder reading his letter and he says, Do you shepherd because you have to? Do you shepherd because you have to? Do you lead because it's expected of you? Do you minister the word out of obligation? Now, notice what Peter is doing as he's pressing on these men. He won't let elders settle. He won't let these men get comfortable. He declares that they must make war on compulsion. There can be no contentment with a a duty-driven work. There has to be willingness. There has to be this sincere zeal and desire for leadership, a burning desire to go and get the work of ministry done that must characterize leaders. Are you leading by compulsion or are you leading from a willing heart? Peter is asking. We find help by not simply just listening to Peter, but listening to other men meditate on what Peter said. So you can go to church history, and there's a rich history of pastors reflecting on what Peter is saying. For example, William Bridges, he wrote this great instruction manual on pastoral ministry. He says this, A pastor ought to have nothing at heart but the work of God and the salvation of souls. This ought to be his delight, his meat, his life he's capturing what Peter's after not under compulsion but willingly another pastor Nicholas Murray writes this he says it is not sufficient for a true pastor to feel a a general desire to be useful he must be possessed by a desire for the salvation of men which will give him no rest as he seeks to gratify it souls are his higher and many waters cannot quench the love which inflames his heart to obtain them it is the one great absorbing feeling which, which takes him to his study, to his closet, to the chambers of sickness, to the pulpit. It inspires everything he does. It inspires every sermon he writes, gives energy to every address he makes, gives fervency to every prayer he utters, and marks all of his intercourse with, with men. He's getting what Peter's after. Not under compulsion, but, but willingly. Or James Stewart writes this. He says, Pastor Elder Overseer, your task is to confront the rampant disillusionment of the day, the disillusionment of your own soul, to smash it with the cross of Christ and to shame it with the splendor of the resurrection. Or perhaps it's best just to go to Jesus himself. Think about Jesus' ministry. Jesus did not lead from compulsion, but from a willing heart. Jesus came and when, it, when the work of salvation stood before him, the humiliating work of being our mediator, of bearing our sins, Jesus was led with a willing heart. Listen to Jesus. When he came to this world, what did Jesus say? He said this, Behold, I have come to do your will. Or do you remember these words from the Gospel of John? Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That's the chief shepherd speaking about his own heart. Jesus declares, I have a willing heart. He desires that all of his under-shepherds would have that same heart. And so Peter asks, do you shepherd willingly or are you disinterested? That's the first check. Second check is this. Peter asks, are you a taker? Are you a taker? And We find this check in verse two. Peter writes... Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. And again, Peter sets this check up with a a contrast. Shameful gain, eagerly. An elder is not to labor for greedy gain. Instead, he must labor eagerly. And the point that Peter's after is easy to get. An elder must not labor to get, but to give. An elder must not labor to take, but to impart, to give away. So Peter's asking the very simple question, elder, is your ministry characterized your heart in it all, by taking, or by giving. And as we try to think through and apply what Peter is saying, there are so many ways to apply it. We are creative as sinners, and we invent all sorts of new ways to take and not give. this doesn't have to do with money. If you have the King James Version, filthy lucre. One can labor as one who is greedy for what? Recognition. One can labor as one who's greedy for significance or prestige or, or standing or notoriety. Peter comes to the, to the elders and he asks, well, why is this being done? Look into your heart. Why is such effort being given to this task right now in this way? Is it so that you might take or that you might give? So that you might impart or that you might receive? Peter wants us to see that this flips ministry on its head. When elders labor to take, it, it turns the flock of God into what? Into a commodity. The sheep and bought are sold, bought and sold for another end so that the elder might accumulate something for himself. He uses the sheep to, to feed himself in one way or another. And Peter wants us to see that this is antithetical to the gospel. What if we learned about the gospel of Jesus. Well, we learn that Jesus is what? He is the the great shepherd, the good shepherd who lays his life down for the, the sheep, and he does it willingly. He gives. He is the husband who dies for his bride. He gives away willingly. He is the Lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world. And so, as we look at Jesus, as we look into the gospel, we don't find greedy gain, we find earnest giving. That's what is at the heart of the gospel. Sinners receive from Jesus. And Peter is asking elders, does your ministry comport, does it fit with the gospel of Jesus? Are you a taker or are you a a giver? Do you follow in the steps of Jesus or not? So that's the second check. Peter gives us one last check. And here he asks another very simple question. He asks, are you power hungry? Are you power hungry? Look at verse three. Peter writes, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So we don't have to wonder where where Peter gets these words. He gets them from Jesus. Peter isn't an original thinker here. The vocabulary that Peter uses is, is directly pulled from Mark chapter 10. So if you remember Mark chapter 10, I'll fill that in for you a little bit. Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Jerusalem. And on this way to Jerusalem, Jesus is telling his disciples again and again and again what's going to happen to him. Three times, in fact, he tells his disciples, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again on the third day. But if you know this story, Jesus' disciples can't make sense of what's going on. They don't understand Jesus. In fact, it seems like when Jesus preaches the gospel that he's going to suffer and die, it provokes his disciples to sin. Because every time Jesus says this gospel message, these men do something really stupid. And we find this in in Mark chapter 10. So Jesus preaches the gospel to them. He's going to suffer and die. James and John come up to Jesus, and they say this. Jesus, can we sit at your right and your left hands when you come in power? In the day of the kingdom, can we have spot number one and spot number, number two? And what happens? Well, the other disciples hear what James and John are asking, and they get angry. They're mad. They're riled up. Why? Because these guys are acing them out of the spots that that they wanted. But listen to what Jesus says. And this is where Peter gets this, this check, this language. Mark chapter 10, verses 42 through 44. Jesus says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. What's happening here? Well, Jesus is telling us the the ungodly, they gobble up power and authority. And they gobble up power and authority. Why? So that they might subject others. And this is what James and John were doing. They wanted spots number one and two. Why? So they'd be at the front of the pact. And that they could have these spots of authority, glory, glory so they could subject the other disciples. And why were the other 10 disciples angry? Because they weren't getting spots number one and two. They were gonna be at the end of the line. They wanted those spots of power and authority for themselves. And it's from this experience that Peter starts digging into the hearts of elders. And he's probing elders' hearts. Are you power hungry? Are you conducting your ministry like James and John are you gobbling up power like the pagans so you, can, so you can subject others? Or are you leading by example? You have power and authority, but you're using that power and authority to be slave of all. And Peter asks, are you power hungry? Well, there's the three checks. And as we think about Peter's three checks, they're They're brutal. Peter pastors in a brutal way. He comes to these elders and he asks them, are you disinterested? Are you a taker? Are you power hungry? And as we think about these three checks, there is no one who can make it through these three checks unscathed. Whose heart is free from pollution? Whose heart is free from this contamination of sin? Mine isn't. And I don't know anyone else whose is. And Peter knows this. He's preaching from this knowledge. He is not only a fellow elder, but he is also a fellow sinner. And we don't have to look far to find Peter's sin because they're displayed for us in Holy Scripture. Remember the time that Peter rebuked Jesus? Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter says, no, not going to happen. What was happening in Peter's heart? He's prideful. He's prideful. Remember the time that Peter rebuked Jesus three, or denied Jesus three times. What's going on in Peter's heart? He didn't care about servant ministry or suffering. He's just trying to figure out how he might live for the next five minutes, how he might protect his life for the next couple of hours. I remember the time the disciples were jockeying for power. Peter was there. Remember the time the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest? Peter was there, engaged in those arguments. So Peter's a sinner not only is he a sinner, but he's a man who gets the grace of the gospel and he loves the gospel. And so Peter probes our hearts, he cuts our hearts up, but then he preaches good news to our hearts. Listen to what Peter says in verse four. He says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And these are words we cannot let go of. Just think about the temptations that face leaders. What can guard your heart from a lust for money? What's going to cause you to go sacrifice again and again and again for the good of others? What's going to cause you to be patient when everything's irritating you? What's going to cause you to go again and again to, to serve? What's going to, what's going to do this in your heart? Well, it has to be something greater than money. It has to have something more, more, that'll last longer than fame. It has to have more allure than, than power itself. And, and here in, in verse 4, Peter tells us what it is. Very simply, Peter says, Jesus is coming and this ought to be your treasure. In fact, it has to be your treasure. Your shepherd is coming and with him rewards. So the only way to minister, the only way to minister as Jesus would have us is to do it with both eyes set on the end of the story. The only way to work that pleases God is to work with the knowledge that Christ is coming. That the shepherd is not far away. The only way to serve Christ is to know that Christ has rewards far greater than you can find in this present hour, greater than fame or power or money or prestige or anything else that you might set your heart upon. To put it simply and clearly, elder, you have to be supremely concerned with Jesus himself. As you pastor, what do you need to do? You need to look at your pastor As you oversee the church of God, you need to look to the overseer of your soul. As you elder God's people, you need to look to your older brother, Jesus himself. And it's when we live here and stay here that we find success and faithfulness and fruitfulness. Peter says simply, this is how you do it. Look at Jesus and don't stop looking at him. That's Peter's call and it is a great call. So I want to end on this note. I want to address God's people and I want to address elders. And so we began this way, but it's good to finish this way. Brothers and sisters, you need this instruction. And I hope that this passage will fuel your prayers. Jesus, these are the temptations facing these men. Would you keep them from these temptations? Keep their feet from stumbling. Jesus, This is what these men need. Would you give it to them? And so we need your prayers. I need your prayers. The rest of the elders need your prayers. Would you be faithful in praying for us from these four verses? May they shape your prayer life as you think about God's people and the elders set over you. And lastly, elders, brothers. Peter cuts us up. He beats us up. And it's good to get beat up. And then, experience the gospel again. But there's really only one thing we can do in light of what Peter says. We must turn to God. That's all we can do. We can turn to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 5 through 6 have to carry the day for us. The apostle Paul says this, we are not sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers a new covenant turn to God let's pray oh father we give thanks for your word we need it you instruct us in so many practical ways and we thank you for this instruction on leadership and we pray that as we reflect on these words you would change our heart as a people that elders would lead as you would have us as described here and that the church would follow the example set before them. Would you meet us? Would you apply this word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.